praise, Lord, and we just thank you so much for uh, coming um, in so that we can come into your presence, Lord, and where you have said where two or three have gathered, Lord, we just come in, in your name uh, that you would be with us, God. And we just, uh, coming from so many different directions, all the chaos, um, just in the midst of all this chaos, Lord, just calm our hearts, uh, let us focus on you uh, so that we, um, we can experience what you have for us, Lord, because it's important to know God, that you are, you are our Father, and you are good, and Lord, we just um, bow our hearts this morning, lifting up your name, and just, uh, God, be with us as we, as we sing, as we hear the, your word spoken to us, Lord. Um, just come and be with us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Oh, you're a good 
in all your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. Sing it again. You are perfect in all of I'm, I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm just glad you guys are here with us this morning. Um, <clears throat> if you're new with us, we're glad you're here too, um, and just thankful, just thankful to be here together. Uh, as the ushers, you guys want to come forward, you can hand out these uh, guest connection cards, the booklets here. Uh, if you're new with us, this, this might be new for you, um, to fill out a little bit of information about yourself. Um, that's not so we can um, stalk you, but just so we can get to know a little bit more about you. And if you want more information about us, there's ways that you can um, check boxes on there and, and, um, and we'll get back to you on those things. And there's a spot at the bottom that you can list a prayer request if you have one. We would love to pray for you. Um, and so as they're doing that and as you're filling those out, <coughs> excuse me, just want to share a little bit of Crosspoint family news with you. Um, George and Kim Jenkins uh, just recently, uh, if, if some of you might be aware that George has been battling um, a brain tumor uh, for quite some time now, and he um, has been doing pretty well with it. And just recently they found out that part of the tumor that had been uh, growing near an inoperable part of his brain now has actually grown uh, more. And so um, we just want to encourage you guys to encourage them to be praying for them. And I don't believe they're here today. I think they're on a vacation uh, as a family. Cody and Allie Jenkins, that would be their son and daughter-in-law, um, are also cross-pointers here. And so uh, if you just want to encourage them, if you know them, reach out to them this week. Send them a text message, something in the mail, whatever it is. 
call them, pray for them, see how you can, you can serve them in that way and encourage them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, it's good to have opportunities to do that as the body. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52 is what we'll be in today. Um, this is the only passage in, in the Gospels, in, in uh, Scripture, that, that uh, talks about Jesus' childhood after the first really two years uh, of his life on earth. And, and it, it's kind of funny because we readily accept the fact that Jesus came to earth as a baby. He was born in a manger. And then, and then we kind of skip ahead and we, and we think about how uh, he, he was a grown man and he died on the cross for our sins. And, and yet somehow we kind of tend to overlook this fact that, that he grew up somewhere in between there. Uh, that that he, he was born as a baby and, and that he grew into a man. Now, something that we need to um, understand as we read through this passage today and, and keep in mind is that Jesus is the God-man. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. He's, he's two natures in one person. Now, if you think of the Trinity, the Trinity uh, is three persons, one God, Okay, and not, not just the person, the term person's not just being used as like we would use person to person or people, but, but just that, that, that being, the three persons, one God. Jesus is one person, two natures. It's really hard to grasp fully. While he remained 100% God, he took on the nature of a human. It was addition, not subtraction. And so uh, he came to earth and took on this complete nature of a human being. Because he's God, he's sovereign, he's holy, he's perfect. Everything that God is, Jesus is. And because he became man, everything that man is, Jesus is, except one thing. He was sinless. You see, he took on the, the original human nature, the one that Adam and Eve had before they sinned and the fall happened. And so Jesus came as 100% God, took on the nature of 100% man, and, and has these two natures uh, about his one person. Um, we could spend a whole series on this topic and, and still not fully comprehend this. So, so, uh, because, because there's never been someone like Jesus before and there never will be. Can any of you say that I'm 100% man and 100% God? No, right? So, so we can't fully grasp this, but, but for the sake of our message today, for the sake of, of, of what we're going to be uh, exploring in this passage, here's what we need to keep in mind. In the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, his divinity and his humanity work together in submission to the Father to reveal and to carry out his plan of salvation for all mankind. Now, as followers of Christ, we are often made aware of our lack of submission when it comes to God's plan for our lives, especially in those chaotic moments. We have a tendency to focus more on the circumstances than the one who controls them, and we respond often with confusion and fear. So if you're like me and you've, never, and you've ever been confronted by your own lack of understanding or your own um, convicted by your own desire to control a situation, then this passage will help you. 
Here at the end of Luke 2, we're going to learn from a 12-year-old boy how to live as dearly loved children of God, focused on his will for our lives. So follow along with me as we read God's word together. <clears throat> Luke 2, 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went on a day's journey. They went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. As his mother And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you've given us your word and your spirit to help us understand to, uh, to, to know and to apply your word to our lives. We want to submit to it, to you, as you reveal to us what you have for us this morning. So God, do that, and we'll receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. We thought we'd lost Layla. Those were the words that I heard on the phone several years ago from my older sister when she called to tell me about what had happened. Uh, my brother-in-law had been mowing in their front yard, and, uh, and while he was mowing, he noticed a white van next door uh, with some carpet people in it, and apparently his neighbors were, were having their carpet replaced. So he's mowing, and um, about that time, my older, my older sister, she had left, was getting ready to leave and, and was leaving to go to work. And, uh, and my four-year-old niece, Layla, was standing at the front door waving to her, waving by. So uh, my sister left and my brother-in-law uh, started to go around to the backyard to finish mowing. It was only going to take a few minutes. It was a small yard. Uh, and as he came to the backyard, he thought, man, I should just go in and check on Layla real quick just in case, uh, just to make sure that the front door got shut and all, all that stuff. So he goes inside and uh, to check on Layla, calls her name, no answer. Calls her name louder, no answer. Calls her name louder, no answer. Starts screaming her name at the top of his lungs, Layla, Layla, and no answer. And about that time, he noticed that the white van is now gone across the street. Now, every one of you that are, is a parent in here, you probably know exactly what the thought that went through his mind was, that she was gone, that they had taken her. And so he called the police, and they came over, and he called my sister, and she came back, and my dad came over, and, and all these people were in their house rummaging through things, screaming Layla's name, calling out for her. No answer, no answer, no answer. 
And <laughs> my brother-in-law, Dave, God bless him. He, he's a pastor, but um, listen, we're people too, okay? Um, he was praying for God to smite those men in the van. <laughs> God, I know they have her, and you need to put, like, just kill them, God. Just kill them. Bring her back to me. You know, you know this as a parent, right? And, uh, and about the time he finished that prayer, uh, you know, just, just distraught beside himself, he, he heard a police officer say, is this what you're looking for? And he turned around and to see this grin on this, this police officer's face, and he, he, he was pointing down behind the ottoman in the living room, kind of in the back corner. Something you need to know about my niece is that she can fall asleep right now, any place, anytime, anywhere. In the, in the like two or three minutes that it took from her to wave to her mom and him to come around the backyard and go inside and call out her name, she had gone over into that, behind that ottoman, laid down and taken a nap. When she's asleep, she's literally dead to the world, okay? And so you cannot wake her up. Screaming at the top of his lungs in the same room, she did not hear him. And yet, there she was, safe and sound in her father's house. My sister, I was talking to her about this on the, on the phone uh, yesterday, just kind of reviewing this story. And... Uh, she was telling me about, about how she was, uh, had this moment at the top of the stairs when, when they still hadn't found Layla. And she, she said, my heart and my mind uh, battled against one another. Uh, she, she said, my heart, in my heart, I knew that Layla was somewhere. She was somewhere. She didn't just vanish into thin air. She, she, she had to be somewhere. And my mind kept going, where? Where is she? She's not here. So she had this internal struggle, this internal battle inside herself between what her heart knew to be true and what her mind was trying to convince her of otherwise. You don't have to be a parent to understand the chaos of life. Every day we are faced with situations that put us in the middle of a tug of war with ourselves between fear and faith. Listen to me. As children of God, we are plagued with father forgetfulness. We often forget who we belong to in the middle of the turmoil, and we live through those moments driven by doubt and dread. We need to know, uh, we need wisdom to know what God is up to and the security to entrust ourselves to his care and his plans. Here at the end of Luke 2 is a story of a mother and a father that are heading home when they realize they've lost the child that God gave them. Worry, fear, panic, doubt, all of those things led them to a frantic search to find their missing boy. And their search ends at the temple where they find their son, not afraid, but safe and secure, right where he belongs, in his father's house. Because God is our father. We have got to live like we belong to him. To do that, we've got to live faithfully in his word, securely in his love, mindfully in his plan, and submissively to his authority. 
Because God's our Father. We've got to live faithfully in his word. Why? Because it reveals God's ways to us. Verse 41 and 42. Now, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. The feast of the Passover was actually two feasts together. It was the one-day feast of the Passover uh, coupled with the seven-day feast of the unleavened bread. And so they were often called uh, one or the other. Used, those names were used interchangeably, interchangeably. But this feast celebrated God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt in the days of Moses where he, he took them uh, and, and killed the firstborn in all of Egypt except for the Jews, uh, the Israelites, their houses that were covered with the blood of a sacrificial lamb and God passed over their houses. And so the whole nation of Israel celebrated this year after year after year as a reminder of God's faithfulness to them as their father in heaven who was uh, drawing them out to be his people. By the time he was six years old, a Jewish boy would, uh, would have uh, learned and, and, and begin memorizing the Torah, which is, we know, as the first five books of the Bible, okay, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Many Jews viewed the Torah as uh, a book of rules and laws to, excuse me, as more than a book of rules and laws to obey. They studied it to know God and to worship him. They treasured it. And so many young boys at, the, at that time, by the time they were about 12 or 13, would have the entire Torah memorized. The first five books of the Bible. How are you doing on that? Right? By 13 years old. And at 13, this Jewish boy would become what's called a, a son of the law. And he would not only be responsible for knowing the Torah, but at 13, he would be considered an adult and take on the full responsibility, the personal responsibility for keeping its commands and customs, such as coming to Jerusalem for the Passover feast every single year. Now, this account in Luke 2 is the first record of Jesus making this trip to Jerusalem for the Passover. He still had a year to go before he, was, he would be considered uh, a son of the law and be required to observe the Passover, excuse me, in Jerusalem. But in fact, uh, but the fact that, that um, Mary and Joseph brought him a year early just, just shows how committed they were to the ways of God as a family. In fact, Mary wasn't even required to go every year. The women weren't, weren't required to go. It was only the Jewish males that were required to make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, three times a year for, for festivals, the Passover being the most important one. And every year it says that she went with Joseph, and now they brought Jesus. They were committed to following God's ways. Verse 43. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. It's a three-day trip back from Jerusalem to Nazareth. They'd already traveled a day. Then they realized Jesus was missing, so they had to travel back a day. And then somewhere on that third day, after searching all over Jerusalem, they finally found him in the temple. Mary and Joseph most likely assumed that, um, that in this 
uh, in this caravan. They would travel in caravans, uh, the villages would, from town to town so that they could remain safe. It was for a safety reason. And and so in the groups, the kids would play and run around, and, and the, you know, they didn't stay just together all the time. And so they would come back together in the family groups at night to sleep. And so that's probably when Mary and Joseph realized Jesus was missing after that first full day. They had to make that trek back another day and then look for him that third day. So they found him in the temple. Now, in the temple courts... Uh, it was customary for young pupils to sit at the feet of the teachers and listen to them debate back and forth about how to interpret the law, the Torah. Uh, asking questions would not have been out of the ordinary either. And, and so that, that was how they learned. And so you have this interchange between Jesus and the teachers uh, back and forth of him asking questions and answering theirs. And the central topic of discussion in the temple courts would have been the coming Uh, of the Messiah. People were expecting him to come soon. Now, whether Jesus' questions were about the law or the Messiah, the text doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that he sat there, engaged with these religious leaders in the study of scriptures. And about 20 years later, it would be the religious leaders, possibly some of the same ones here, that the fully grown Jesus would confront about their failure to interpret the scriptures correctly. In all their years of teaching what they thought they knew, they had failed to learn the most important thing. John 5, 39 and 40, Jesus says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, the scriptures don't give us life, but they lead us to the one who does. All of the Bible points to Jesus Christ. So we've got to live faithfully to his word because it reveals God's son to us. Do you treasure God's word or is it just an afterthought? If every Bible you owned was taken away from you today and you no longer had access to the word of God, Would you miss it? How much of it would you be able to remember and live from? How well would you be able to tell others about the Jesus of the Bible? Would it be the same Jesus that you know? And the same Jesus that you love? You can't love Jesus if you don't know him. And you can't know him without his word revealing to you who he is. So how do we live faithfully in God's word? Two things. Don't just search for customs. Search the scriptures to learn what is customary for a life in Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Don't give up meeting together. I'm so glad that these seats have people in them. Regularly attending church is not just what you're supposed to do as a Christian. It's vital to your life in Christ. We are the body of Christ. A body part does not survive very long 
apart from the body. So if you're watching the podcast right now or you're listening to it later this week, I just want to encourage you and challenge you that the podcast is intended for people who can't be here on a Sunday morning, not for the people who choose not to be. We can't encourage you through a screen and a YouTube channel. We need to see your face. And you, well, you can see ours right now. But we need to see you. Encouragement comes when we're together in person with the body of Christ where we can remind each other of his promises and spur one another on to live for him until he returns. We need to be in the word together weekly through Sunday morning services and through uh, community groups throughout the week. If you're not in a community group, I want to challenge you to get involved in one. I just so happen to be the community group's pastor. Talk to me afterwards. And we'll get you plugged in. We need to be in the Word daily learning about Jesus. We have a gospel reading plan. We're in the Gospels for 37 total weeks. We have a gospel reading plan that you can follow along in your Bible together by yourself, however you want to do it, as long as you start to talk about it with someone else eventually. Chapter a day will keep you ingrained in the life of Christ for 37 weeks. Some of you haven't gotten baptized yet. As a believer in Christ, you are commanded to do that. So whatever it is that's keeping you from doing that, I want to encourage you to talk to an elder or pastor and let's, let's figure that out. What's holding you back as a follower of Jesus who is proclaiming him as Lord and Savior? Follow that command so that we can celebrate with you and that you can declare to a lost world that you've been changed. Our next baptism date is April 9th. Don't just be present in the body of Christ. Be actively participating in it. As a follower of Christ, you've been given spiritual gifts to use in a way that is meant to encourage, to challenge, and to grow the body of Christ into maturity under the head who is Jesus. God's word instructs you to submit yourself to the leaders of the local church and to contribute to the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Committing to membership in a local church body gives you a way to do that, allows you to do those things and be faithful to what God has called you to do. We have a Discover Crosspoint coming up on April 9th as well. 11.30 to 1.30, lunch and child care. Those excuses are gone. Okay? We don't want you as a member of our club. We want you to be involved and participating in the body using the gifts that God has given you. So if you want to find out more about that, you can email Pastor Dave this week or sign up at the Guest Connection Center back there. Here's the second thing. Don't just love the study of the word. Love the one whom the study reveals. Delight in God through the scriptures. Some of you may be familiar with a man named George Mueller. He's known for his prayer life. And, and the way he does that is he prays through scripture. He reads scripture every morning until he finds something that he can praise God for. And then something that he can confess and, 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 uh, and just lay that before the Savior. Something that he can thank God for. 
and something that he can ask God for. And he just keeps going through the scriptures and doing these things until he finds himself delighting in the Lord. If you've ever struggled in your prayer life, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray today. I'm going to do it for like an hour. And then two minutes later, you wake up with drool on your mouth. Or you find yourself wandering off. This is a good way to try that. To delight yourself in the one whom the scripture reveals. Last fall, we did a living by the book class where we learned how to study the Bible. There's a way to do it so that you don't be confused by it. And so you can't, don't just stare at it and go, I have no idea what this is or where to start. We can help you get into the word of God to study it so that you can know God and worship him. We'll be doing that class again this summer or this fall. You can talk to me afterwards if you're interested in that or email me this week. Don't just memorize scripture. Internalize it. There's a difference. You hide God's word in your heart when you internalize it. You hide God's word in your mind when you memorize it. Yes, we need to know it up here, but we have to apply it in here. Over and over and over, Proverbs talks about applying the word to your heart. When we internalize it, it becomes real and we know it to a greater degree than we ever could if we just kept it up here. And what we'll find when, as we read God's word is that not only, it, it not only reveals who Jesus is, but also who we are in him. And we need to know that in order to live securely in his love. And I always find it interesting and amusing to hear stories about famous people. And, and you, have, um, you have kind of these two conflicting views of, of their fans who just think they're, they're these radical superheroes who can do nothing wrong. And then there's always the interview with the parents. And the parents, at some point in the interview, are always talking about how, uh, yeah, I saw, we saw potential in him or, or her when she was this age and did this thing. But then there always seems to be this story that they share about how at some point in their life, their kid was just like every other kid and did something to, to cause gray hair to grow out of their parents' head, to give them grief. See, people's perspectives of who we are differ based on how they see us, but our true identity doesn't come from the people around us. It comes from the Father who loves us. We've got to live securely in his love because we'll always wow some and we'll always worry others. Verse 47. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. That was verse 48 as well. All the people were amazed. The word used there, uh, the, the meaning for it is to be so astonished as to almost fail to comprehend what, has, uh, what one has experienced. In other words, they couldn't understand Jesus' understanding when he was sitting there talking to the, to the rabbis. They couldn't comprehend his comprehension. They were dumbfounded by him. They had no answer for what they were looking at and hearing. And then Mary and Joseph arrived and they had their own difficulties making sense of things. In verse 48, they could hardly take in the scene in front of them. They had been frantically searching for him, worried out of their minds, and then when they finally found him, he wasn't scared, he wasn't worried, he wasn't rebellious, he wasn't resentful, he was intrigued and engaged in learning with the teachers. Parents, what's the first thing you do or say to your child when they've gone missing and you found them? Oh, I'm so glad you're okay. What's the second thing you say? 
go to your room. <laughs> right? We scold them. We scold them for, for the, the feelings of, of fear that they have caused in us. Right? We've communicated to them that they are the cause of our distress. And Mary's words here carry a similar tone. She's, she's acting like any mother would in her case, but her reaction was misguided. Was, was Jesus being disobedient to them when he stayed in Jerusalem? No, he's never disobeyed them before. He was literally the model child. They didn't have reason to be concerned about him being disobedient or sneaking off, or they, they would have kept a closer eye on him to begin with when they left Jerusalem. They simply assumed that he wasn't, or that he was somewhere in the caravan, and when he wasn't, and they realized that, they searched all over and they found him in the most obvious place, in the temple, sitting among the teachers and asking and answering questions. And then Jesus responded to Mary's questions with questions of his own. Verse 49, and he said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? See, in that moment when Mary is, is in mom mode, she, she calls Jesus her son and she refers to Joseph as his father, which all of those things are true. But she was a little short-sighted in that moment. Um, she was Jesus' mother and Joseph was his earthly father, but she was, she was uh, not thinking clearly because of the fear and panic that was still in her heart. But Jesus was, and at 12 years old, he clearly knew that he was the son of God. His parents had been looking for, them, for him so that uh, they could take him home, but, but he knew he was already in his father's house. These are the first recorded words of Jesus in scripture, and they reveal an amazing truth. He's growing and learning in his human nature, and, and he had a, had a profound awareness of his divine nature he knew that though he was born on earth, he came from above. Jesus wasn't swayed by the accolades of the crowd or shaken by the agony of his parents. He was powerfully aware that he was the son of God. Later in his life, it was this truth that would allow him to remain secure in his father's love and carry out his mission to the end. When Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his public ministry, the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove and the Father spoke from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. When Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he tried to convince Jesus otherwise. Two out of the three temptations started like this. If you are the son of God, Then again, on the, when Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration, uh, the voice of the Father spoke from above and said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then the high priest accused Jesus of blasphemy, blasphemy for claiming to be the son of God. And then when he hung on the cross, the people stood below mocking him and told him to save himself if he was the son of God. But because he's God's son, Jesus did not come down <clears throat> off of that cross 
Instead, he showed the full extent of God's love for us when he died in our place, was buried, and then rose again on the third day so that any who call on him, any who believe in his name, would be given the right to be called children of God. How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called his children, and that is what we are. So how do we live securely in his love? First, you need to let his word tell you who you are. Write these down. Go, go home this week and read Ephesians 1 and 2, Colossians chapter 2, Romans 5 through 8. Ephesians 1 and 2, Colossians chapter 2, Romans 5 through 8. Those are ones you need to internalize and be reminded of who you are and what you have in Christ. Find a good systematic theology resource. I know that's kind of a dirty word to some of you in here. But the, and study the doctrine of adoption. We just, we just pass by that. Any good resource will lead you back into Scripture and show you all of the places that God's Word reminds you that you are His child in Christ. Email me this week if you need some suggestions. I'd be happy to give them to you. You also need to remind yourself often. Remember that as a Christ follower, you have been given the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. The Spirit guides us into all truth and testifies to our spirits that we are indeed sons and daughters of God. Internalize these passages that I just mentioned so that, that you can begin uh, to, to uh, so that when you doubt, and when you worry, that the Spirit inside you can say, no, this is the truth about who you are. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. 1 John 1, 28 says, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when, we, when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. We also need to remind others often. All those passages I just mentioned above, Ephesians, Colossians, Romans, they're all part of letters uh, from Paul to different people. He's reminding them of who they are in Christ. In his letter to the Galatians, he reminded them that their sonship is not based on their obedience to the law, but on their faith in Christ Jesus. In 2 Peter 1, Peter tells his readers who are believers that God made them partakers of the divine nature through his own glory and goodness, and he gave them great and precious promises through which they may have a life of godliness in Christ. In verse 12, he says this, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Even though you know these things, you need to be reminded of these things. Even though I know these things, I need to be reminded of these things. So let's remind each other. If you're confident in your identity in Christ as a child of God, you need to help others grow in their own confidence of that truth in their lives. We all need to be reminded daily of who we are and what we have in Christ because daily the world around us tries to convince us otherwise. And the world tries to keep us short-sighted. So we've got to live mindfully of his plan. Why? So that we can understand how now fits into forever. We already read verse 49 Jesus clearly uh, shows an understanding of, of how now is fitting into forever. 
One year, my mother-in-law and her siblings gave uh, their parents a mosaic picture for Christmas. You know, it's, and, and it was a, the standing back at the wall, you could see it was just a big, large picture of the four of them. But as you got closer, there were hundreds of little pictures of their kids and their kids' kids and all of these things. And it was this beautiful picture of the legacy that um, my grandparents, my wife's grandparents, had started and has continued through the generations of her family. Now, they could have just given them all those hundreds of pictures, but they would have missed that larger one. And they would have missed uh, maybe some of that significance of what was happening in and through their family. At 12 years old, Jesus understood who his true father was. And he, and he knew that he was God's son and the promised Messiah. He also knew that at that moment, he had to be in his father's house. I must be in my father's house, he says. But he didn't set up his kingdom right there. He didn't stand trial before Pontius Pilate either. He wasn't beaten. He wasn't mocked. He wasn't taken outside the city to be crucified. None of that happened yet because it was all part of a larger plan that had yet to unfold. Several times in the Gospel of John, the phrase, his time had not yet come, is used to hint at Jesus' crucifixion because in order to save his people from their sins, he would have to die in their place and pay for their penalty and remove their guilt. In about 20 years, Jerusalem would be the place where the rabbi, the great teacher, Jesus, would teach people about the kingdom of God and reveal himself to be the Messiah that they had been waiting for. It would also be the place where he would offer himself up on the cross as the Lamb of God, the perfect Passover sacrifice once and for all for the payment of our sins. Mary and Joseph weren't aware of any of that, at least not in that moment. Verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to him, to them. They were short-sighted. They didn't see the bigger picture. We've got to live mindfully of his plan so that we can help others understand what they can't see. Before Jesus was born, an angel of the Lord appeared to both Mary and Joseph to tell them about the one that God was giving to them. They were to call him Jesus because he would save the people from their sins. He will be great, the angel said, and the Lord God will put him on the throne and he will reign forever and his, uh, over his people in the kingdom that never ends. Shepherds came to see him in the manger because uh, of a heavenly host of angels that appeared to them in nearby fields and announced that the Savior Messiah had been born. When Mary brought and Joseph brought baby Jesus to the temple, uh, it, the prophet Simeon held Jesus in his arms and he praised God for keeping his promise to show Simeon the Messiah before Simeon died. While they were there, the prophetess Anna praised God and spoke about Jesus to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Wise men came from the eastern lands to worship the one born king of the Jews and to present gifts to him. An angel of the Lord appeared to Mary and Joseph and warned them to take Jesus and flee to Egypt because King Herod was coming to look for him to try and kill them. And all of this happened in the first two years of his life. There's a 10-year gap between that and the next time we hear about Jesus here at the end of Luke chapter 2. During that time, he grew. He became strong and he was filled with wisdom and the favor of God was on him. But his childhood up to that point was probably a normal one. Like any other childhood, at least from what Luke's gospel reveals, there were no more angels. No messenger of God came to Mary and Joseph on their way home to tell them that they forgot their son. 
surely Mary and Joseph hadn't completely forgotten all that had happened in the years uh, and in those past years and the way Jesus came to be their son in the first place. But here, after a 10-year quiet period, their 12-year-old son made a statement that clearly shows his divinity. And instead of connecting the dots, they did not understand what was spoken to them. So how do we make sure that we keep an understanding of the greater picture? We need to back up every once in a while and take a look at the overarching story of Scripture. That's why I love that we're going through this gospel project together. Paul Tripp summarizes it well. He says, The Bible is a narrative, a story of redemption, and its chief character is Jesus Christ. He is the main theme of the narrative, and he is revealed in every passage in the book. The story reveals how God harnessed nature and controlled history to send his son to rescue rebellious, foolish, and self-focused men and women. He freed them from bondage to themselves, enabled them to live for his glory, and gifted them with an eternity in his presence, far from the harsh realities of the fall. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We need to keep the motivation for living clear. If you're a follower of Christ, you are not your focus anymore. Let his love for you compel you to use every opportunity that you have to live for his glory. You need to number your days. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Remembering how short life really is will help you prioritize the time that God has given you. Your, your calendar will become his calendar. Now that doesn't mean that you can't fill it with your kids' sports schedules and family vacations or work meetings or school activities. What it does mean is that as you do those things, you begin to ask questions like, how can I make a gospel impact as I sit with other parents at my daughter's game? How can we as a family show the love of Jesus to all the people who serve us while we're on vacation? How can I work on this office project as if working for the Lord and not for man? How can I honor my teachers for God's glory at school today? Look at your calendar this week and fill it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keeping the gospel in view gives us joy and obedience to what God has for us. He has things for us to do as his children, so we've got to live submissively to his authority. In what? In the big and the small things. Verse 51. And he went down with them and, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother, mother treasured all, up all of these things in her heart. Jesus said, I must be in my father's house. Another way to phrase uh, that, that phrase can be translated is, I must be about my father's business. He had important things to prepare for, but listen, none of those things, none of those important things would have mattered if he hadn't gone back with his parents right then and there. 
If Jesus hadn't obeyed his parents right then and there, he would have broken the fifth commandment and sinned. And if he had sinned, he wouldn't have lived a perfect life of righteousness. If he hadn't lived a perfect life of righteousness, then he wouldn't have been a perfect spotless sacrifice for our sins. And he wouldn't have been able to take our sins upon himself on the cross and give us his righteousness instead. If Jesus hadn't submitted to his parents right then, he wouldn't have submitted to the will of his heavenly Father. He wouldn't have become the Savior. He would have needed one. But he did obey. He kept the commandment and he perfectly fulfilled every other command that God's law required. Philippians 2 says that Jesus humbled himself, took uh, the nature of a servant, took on the nature of a servant and became obedient to death even to death on a cross. In John 8, 29, Jesus said, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. In John 17, Jesus prays to the heavenly father shortly before he's arrested and crucified. And in verse four, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Two chapters later, as he hung on the cross, Jesus' final words before he died were, it is finished. From his words in the temple to his words on the cross, Jesus' business was to do the will of his father. From the simple commands to the most difficult ones, he kept every single one of them. Verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Why should we live submissively to the Father's authority so we can grow in his grace? Again, here we have a, a reminder that Jesus grew. It may be still difficult to grasp, but that's what it says. One commentary author put it this way. He said, Jesus continued to grow, not as we do sometimes, from sinfulness to obedience, but he moved from faith to faith, from grace to grace, from strength to strength, from obedience to higher levels of obedience because he increased in his understanding and knowledge of what God had called him to do. He had a greater capacity for deeper levels of obedience. Sometimes we are called to obey in deeply difficult things. And while we're in the midst of those things, it can be hard to see God at work but it's often through those things that we get the clearest sense of our need for his grace and the clearest picture of what his grace looks like as he holds us through those most trying moments. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. <clears throat> for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our con confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. That's the same Holy Spirit that testifies to our spirits that we are indeed children of God. It's the problems and the trials where the truth that he gives more grace 
becomes a reality, and it's in the proud. It's the proud that he opposes. It's the humble that he gives grace to, so submit anyway. When you don't fully understand, submit anyway. When something seems insignificant, submit anyway. When, when something's too difficult, when you don't want to, humble yourself. Remember you've been given the Holy Spirit. Know that you're a child of God and submit anyway. Last weekend, I got a text message from my younger sister. And all it said was pray so hard right now. I replied back and said, did I miss a message about what to pray for? And it took her a few minutes to respond, but when she did, I just stared at my phone for a second because it didn't seem real what I was reading. We found Griffin unconscious. I'm riding in the ambulance <clears throat> with him. Those were all the words that she had time to muster up. She and her husband were calling for the kids from playing outside and they were getting ready to do their Friday night family movie night and their middle child, Griffin, didn't answer. And they started to get that feeling, you know that feeling that every parent gets when, when you don't know where your kid is. And you, and you should. So they ran outside and they began to frantically search for them and they, they found him in the backyard unresponsive and not breathing. No parent ever wants to experience that. But they had no choice. They didn't ask for it, but it was given to them. And they were getting ready to sit on the couch with popcorn, and they ended up sitting in the waiting room while their son was on life support. But God worked a miracle that night. He put breath back into Griffin's lungs and he began to heal his body. And not only that, he brought the body of Christ around my sister and her family in such a beautiful way to offer them love and support. Griffin came home on Monday, three days after they found his lifeless body in the backyard. His first day of school was Thursday less than a week after the whole thing happened. Last Saturday night, while they were still in the hospital, my brother-in-law replied to a group text that we had uh, going between our families, and he said this. He said, I just got caught up on all the texts because I've been playing Monopoly on the iPad with Griffin, which is incredible to, that I get to say that I was busy because I was playing with my boy. This morning, the first thing I saw after some texts that had backlogged overnight was when my Bible verse a day app sends a verse in the morning. It was Romans 5, 3 through 5. When I first read it, I have to admit that I was angry with God in the moment because my mind wouldn't stop fearing the worst and his, this verse was saying problems and trials develop endurance. I had no interest in developing endurance. I wanted my boy. God just reminded me of that verse along with the reminder that his ways are higher than our ways. He was right again. I'm so thankful that his grace is perfect despite my imperfection. 
our Heavenly Father daily continues to heal us of our Father forgetfulness. In those moments of turmoil when we're driven by doubt and by dread, he gives us more grace so that we can live faithfully in his word, securely in his love, mindfully of his plan and submissively to his authority. Your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. You have been made a child of God through the sacrifice of his one and only son. God is your father. Live like you belong to him. Freed by his love for you to do all that you can for him, for the glory of his beautiful name. Let's stand and sing.
we continue our worship, I want to ask the ushers to come forward. Uh, Lord, just uh, pray that uh, you would uh, just take these gifts, Lord, and continue our purpose, continue our mission as we um, want to reach more people, as we want to um, continue to, uh, to, to, to live 3D, Lord. I just pray that you would take this offering, that you would uh, just multiply it for your purpose in your name. Amen. Jesus, let your kingdom come here, let your will be done here, in us. Jesus, there is no one Shining like the day, King of heaven, come. 
morning, that you would help us to know that we're yours, so that we can live in great eagerness and awareness that you're returning. And as we wait, God, that we would live every day of our lives securely in your love as your children for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your grace for letting me go longer. That's why I only preach every so often. You're dismissed. Love you guys.